Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is November the 12th, 2019, and this is episode 2545 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, it is a Tuesday, so it's time for a Just Jack show. It's my first show back after the week-long workshop last week. So my voice is a little hammered. Um, it's not terrible, though, and hopefully it won't deteriorate too much during this, and we will get through it together. Today we're going to talk about cracky hydroponics. Now, what I'm going to say first of all is I've been saying, been, as I've been writing notes and stuff today, I've been writing down aquaponics over and over and over again. So at some point during this, unless I'm making a comparison, if I, if I have a mental slip and I say aquaponics, I'm talking about hydroponics and hydroponics only today, except for one little segment where I'll talk about some advantages of hydro over aquaponics, even though I love aquaponics. Anyway, um, the way this came up is a few weeks ago, a listener uh, did, uh, on one of my call-in shows asked about Kratky hydroponics. And my initial reaction was one of uh, typical Spearco skepticism. skepticism. Uh, I am a skeptic on a lot of these things, and I hear like the the so-and-so method, uh, blah, 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 blah. And the reason is, especially in the world of gardening and growing your own food and permaculture, etc., and I'm pretty sure it's the case everywhere, but I've really noticed a lot of it there, it seems that... Everybody and their brother wants to invent something. They want something to hang their hat on, their method or what have you. And some of these methods, I think, are unduly complex for no practical gain. Something like, if you want to look it up yourself, the Metweiler method of gardening, I just think is just asinine on its face. And that was my initial thought with this. This is some other clown's idea of what should be done, and it probably is a solution looking for a problem instead of a solution to a problem. Well, as happens from time to time, Jack is wrong. Uh, when I looked this up, I thought i got to learn more about this. I've been researching it deeply for a few weeks now. And uh, I am going to do something a little unusual today. I'm going to do a show on something I haven't actually done. That is not something I typically do. Um, I usually reach out, grab a guest or something like that, but this was something that I believe is more simple than what I've been doing with aquaponics now for four years. And yes, I meant aquaponics when I said it there. Uh, aquaponics, of course, is where we grow fish and plants together, and there is a lot of complexity in balancing nutrient loads, etc., and there's limitations on what you can do. I mean, you can't just dump more nutrient into uh, an aquaponics system because you can kill your fish. Hydroponics, we can and do just simply mix up exactly what the plants need. And yes, if that gave you a flashback to uh, idiocracy, let's go to plants' grave. Like, yeah, it could sound that way, but it really isn't. I mean, we are really giving the plants what they actually crave with hydroponics. And then Kratky just simplified it. Part of my reasoning for not having done hydro up to this point is simply the case that with the complexity of, of, of hydroponics as I understood it, if I'm going to need a pump, I'm going to have a fish. I'm just I'm, I'm that kind of guy. I, uh, Bill Mollison once said, speaking of, of, of the folks from China, he said the Chinese are a fish people. If you give a Chinaman a teacup, he will put a fish in it. I think I got maybe maybe some some Chinese DNA in me somewhere in my past uh, or something because that's how I am. I I am a fish person. My office is full of 
you know, tropical fish tanks. I have multiple ponds on my site. I live to fish. I love fish. So if I'm going to have a system that I have to have an energy input into in either air or, um, or water pumps, then I'm going to have a fish in it. Well, Kratky eliminates pumps and it eliminates air pumps. It is no moving parts. And when I looked at it, I was kind of blown away. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'll bet you by the time we're done, you're going to want to take this on and try it. Not all of you, but a lot of you. I think this is going to become one of those things that you see dozens and dozens of people, <clears throat> like Small Batch Mead, for example, <clears throat> on the Facebook forum, etc., posting pictures of it. Because it's so dead simple and so damn effective. So we're going to dig into that today. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Ridge Wallet. You know, what we're talking about today with Cracky is about simplifying. In fact, our quote of the day is going to be about simplification. Ridge Wallet is about simplification. Uh, the reason I often misplaced my wallet is it was somewhere in my car while I was somewhere else. And the reason for that would be that I would get in my car or my truck to drive somewhere, and I'd have this big lump on my butt, and it was uncomfortable. And I knew from my chiropractor that that was bad for my posture. Same thing, when I'm sitting in my office desk chair doing my podcast, I would take the wallet out. So then you get up and inadvertently leave without it. When I got the Ridge Wallet, I, I quickly went to carrying it like a liner lock knife. I took the, the cash clip and used it like a liner lock knife. I always have my wallet easy to grab, and I never misplaced it anymore. I haven't misplaced a wallet in two years. That's something of a big deal for me, maybe not for you, but man, I'll tell you what, I constantly misplace my wallet. And I'm not the guy that does it out of convenience to avoid picking up the check. I mean, you know, being at a grocery store, having a car full of crap and being like, ah, oh, damn it, where is it? I hope it's in the car. I'll be right back. And if it isn't, I won't. Um, with Ridge Wallet, that all went away. Plus, it looks great. People seem to, I mean, when I pay with it, people are like, oh, you got the Ridge Wallet. Um, well known. And it is shielded so that people can't steal your RFID information off the RFID chips they put in everything now. So check them out today, RidgeWallet.com. Next up today is Backwoods Home Magazine. Backwoods Home is the magazine for self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty. I started reading it in 1993 after I got out of the Army. I'm still reading it today. It made it real easy to say yes when they asked me to endorse them. If you want to get the best tips for living the life that you want under your own control, homesteading and self-sufficiency delivered to your door four times a year, check out BackwoodsHomeMagazine.com. With that, let's get on into this. We'll start out, though, with this quote of the day that I picked out today. I wanted something on simplicity. I found a quote that I really loved. Uh, it turns out the guy saying it, I, I think it's kind of full of crap. Um, it is by a, a guy named Stéphane Roland. Stéphane Roland is a French uh, fashion designer. And when I looked up who this dude was, because I liked the quote so much, um, he designs the kind of crap you see in fashion shows that nobody actually ever wears. So I don't think simplicity is really what he's all about. But hey, everybody's got to make a living, right? Maybe he wants to do more simple stuff, but that's, you know, that's what pays the bills. I don't know. I don't know who buys the clothing like that that you see at those shows. But it was like, oh wow. Uh, but the quote, I love the quote. It says, "I continue to be drawn to clarity and simplicity. Less is more." Remains my mantra. And as we're going through the Kratky method today, I thought this was a perfect quote. What we're doing is eliminating things. We're eliminating pumps. We're eliminating air pump or water pump, right? So that means we're eliminating a level of complexity. Now, I actually like to build incredibly complex natural systems because the more complex a natural system is, 
the more resilient it is. But when it comes to man-made systems in general, unless you're building redundancy into the complexity, the more complex a man-made system is, the less redundant it is. So if I build an aquaponics system and my pump fails, my fish die. Doesn't take long either in the summertime. If we get a freeze like we have right now, then I have to think harder about how to keep those pumps from freezing up so that water continues to circulate or my fish die. If I have a hydroponic system with pumps in it and the power goes out for a day or two, it's not really a huge deal. But if it stays out long term, if I want to run it off grid, it's another energy component and it's another thing that can fail. If I'm moving water, I can have clogs. If I have clogs, I can have flooding. There's just so much to it. So what we're really going to be digging in today that fits this quote is simplicity. Figuring out <clears throat> what we can stop doing. Um, very much in, in league, which I don't know that he would approve of hydroponics, but Masanubo Fukuoka always said what he was doing with his farming was, what can I not do? What can I stop doing? What can I eliminate? So that's what we're coming at with this today. So what... Let's start out with a, an explanation of what exactly is hydroponics. Hydroponics is simply growing plants without soil through some technology. We also have variants on it like um, uh, aeroponics, etc., where we're misting the roots. But we're using water to grow plants. Now, water does go on plants. We learned that in Idiocracy. But the plants they were putting the water on grew in the dirt. The dirt has, it's actually soil. It has nutrients in it. So water is fairly devoid of nutrient. And even a lot of like water that's harder water with minerals and stuff, a lot of times those minerals are not really bioavailable to the plants. And without enough biology going on like we have in soil, they may not become bioavailable to the plants. So we have to get the nutrients to the plants. Now, what I've talked about immensely in the past, and you can just go to the site and uh, search for aquaponics if you want to find shows where I've talked about aquaponics before, is using fish for this. The fish produce waste, and that waste then becomes consumable by the plants. With hydroponics, we're eliminating the fish. And that does mean we are dependent upon someone, some company, somewhere, to buy the nutrients from. The good news is they're inexpensive, and the ones I'm going to give you today anyway store a very, 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 very long time. And when you start to do the math as to how little you actually need and you realize what you could buy for, let's say, a hundred bucks and go years without needing again, I think that goes away, right? Like it's not really a big concern anymore. That's all hydroponics is, though. We're going to use water and nutrient to grow plants and possibly some sort of a media. Uh, that media we'll talk about in a bit could be anything from something like rock wool to expanded clay pebbles to expanded shale to perlite. Uh, even, I've even seen hydroponic systems that actually use a little bit of soil. We'll even talk about that today. That's all that it is. Now, what are the advantages of hydroponics? And we're not crack key yet. We're hydroponics as a whole. Number one, high-density production. When you're doing anything where you're using water to move nutrient to plant, the plants can actually have fairly small root systems compared to what they would normally have because they don't have to go in search of the nutrient. Everything that plant needs is brought right to it. So we can plant more plants in less area because if we do that with soil, those plants are competing for how much nutrient is available in that soil. But if we grow the plants with hydroponics, we bring the nutrient to the plant. 
and if the plants start to consume more of the the uh, fertilized water than they need, we can just add some more. And when we add more, we bring the nutrient ratios right back to where they are. We provide the plants exactly what they need. Exactly what they need. So if we have a plant with a deficiency with uh, hydro, we can just simply have a plant's deficient in, in, in calcium. Add some calcium. You know, that plant's deficient in iron. Add some iron. Now, when you have fish in your system, it's not quite as easy. It's really not quite as easy, and it certainly never is inexpensive to do. We have to use a lot more gallons when fish are involved. We can do a hydroponic lettuce in one quart of water with a ball jar and grow one head of lettuce in one quart of water. And maybe you should, just as something fun and easy to do. The cheapest way to get started would be to do something like that. Take some quart jars, small mouth jars, two-inch net pot goes right in them. Large mouth jars, three-inch net pot goes right in them. And you drop a piece of rock wool in there, and boom, and that's a crack key method. So we'll hold on that for a little bit. But we can put whatever that plant needs right in that container. And that means with hydroponics, unlike aquaponics, if we have one or two plants in a system and they're in their own container, we can individually provide them what they need. But even in a larger system, we're probably going to need less fertilizer for the things the fish can't give the plants in, in, in uh, aquaponics because we can use less total water if that makes sense. There's no weeds in, in hydroponics, and if there is, they're not hard to get rid of. Your growth is really fast because the plant is in a perfect state. It gets everything it needs, and the hydroponics and aquaponics both grow plants at a faster rate than anything else I've ever seen. They are well Hydroponics is well-suited to indoor, outdoor, or greenhouse. During times of the year when you can garden outside, you can have your little hydroponic setup sitting on the sunny part of a porch. If it's too sunny, you can move it a little bit in, but it can be outdoors, no problems. In a greenhouse, it is ideally suited for greenhouse growing in the colder months, um, and there's all types of little hacks you can figure out to employ with that. Indoor could be as easy as a, a few three-gallon Rubbermaid to totes, uh, maybe some uh, plastic or metallic racks, and some grow lights. You could use anything from the King Bows that I recommend to T5s to higher-end lights, but um, at, at that point you would definitely have more money in your lights than you do in everything else in the system. Very, very economical. Um, it's Generally, I would say it's very easy to control most pests organically because they have nowhere to hide. So you might find some flea beetles or some cabbage lopers or something like that on your plants, but you can control them organically because most of your organic insecticides that are actually safe to use that won't hurt you, like insecticidal soap, for instance, um, are contact killers. In other words, we don't put it on the plant, and then the bug eats the plant and the bug dies. We put it on the bug, and then the bug dies. And... So things like insecticidal soap, it's really easy to kind of just give a little mist if you see any pest activity. They can't go down in the soil to hide on you, which makes organic methods sometimes not as effective when it comes to actually getting rid of the pests and controlling them. And plants are seldom, if ever, stressed. I mean, if you remember the old, uh, the old 80s mo movie, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Sean Penn character, Spicoli, right? I mean, the plants in this system are pretty much Spicoli. It's casual. Like, nothing gets him upset. It doesn't matter. 
I know Spicoli did get upset eventually in that, but overall, that's how the plants are. They're like a, like a stoner. Hey, man, everything's good. I got light. got all my stuff. So plants that aren't stressed are high nutrient density. Uh, they grow quickly. And they are pest resistant. Pests tend to attack plants first that are the stressed plants in a group. There are disadvantages. Um, there, there is nothing that beats the total simplicity of putting a seed in the dirt and having it grow. I'm not really going to go into the disadvantages today, though. Just I will acknowledge that so no one tells me how stupid I am at the end of this show in the comments section. Um, next up, let's talk about cracky aquaponics and what it is and where it came from. So, like I said, when I first heard this, I was like, I bet there's a guy named Cracky. Uh, turns out there is. His name is uh, B.A. Cracky. He was a, uh, a, everybody says he was a doctor um, from the University of Hawaii. When I've looked him up, I do not see anywhere where I see the initials Ph.D. after his name. And B.A. does not mean Bachelor of Arts in this case because it is his name. It's like Bernard Alfred Cracky, something like that. So I don't know if he was a doctor. He is currently listed by University of Hawaii as a researcher emeritus, which basically means he's retired, but maybe he still contributes. Um, and he developed this method. That's why it's called Cracky, because of B.A. Cracky. And he wanted a method, and it was primarily driven by helping people. And specifically in some parts of the world where it is difficult to obtain power or expensive or it cannot be relied upon. And he wanted a way to grow nutrient-dense food very, very easily and very, very inexpensively. And so this would include things like you know taking a one-liter soda bottle and putting a plant in it with this cracky solution and let it grow. So I know what you're thinking. If you didn't hear the prior episode where we talked about it, this, show, this for about 10 minutes... Um, or if um, if you're not familiar with cracky aquaponics as a thing. Okay, so why does this not need a pump? And the reason it doesn't need a pump, to understand it, we understand why do you need a pump in the first place? If we're not going to do fish, why do we need an air pump, or why do we need a water pump in a hydroponics system? And the reason is that the roots require aeration, some level of getting oxygen to them. And if we take the plant and we put it in straight water and the roots are never exposed or we're not getting oxygen into the water through either motion or pumping it in there, then we get into an anaerobic state and the plants do not get enough oxygen and the roots rot and everything is bad and the water turns stinky stagnant and everything dies. So how does Kratky get around this and use a soda bottle? So the way Kratky Aquaponics works is you fill the container, you put the plant in, the plant starts using the, the liquid. As the plant uses the liquid in with some, you know, you cover the, the, the top of the container and all, but there's some level of evaporation, the water level begins to drop. And the secret is you don't do anything about that. See, when I was, when I, the reason I wanted a quote on simplicity here, as the water evaporates and is transpired through the plant's leaves, and transpired, for those who maybe aren't familiar with the term, means the roots of the plant take moisture into the plant, and some of the moisture actually leaves the plant through the leaves. That's called transpiration. And as that goes on, your level of water drops. Well, as you might expect, as the plant grows, so does the roots. And the roots begin to grow deeper and deeper into the container. And as the water level drops, 
the roots maintain enough contact with the fluid to continuously give the plant what it needs. And of course, you've put all the nutrients the plant needs in the water to begin with. And even when the container's like three quarters empty, you still have a huge, then you have a huge root mass. You still have roots reaching the water. See, and it's okay for some of the roots to be in the water table. But all the roots above can get all the oxygen that they need and all the CO2 that the plant wants, right? Now, additionally, as you might imagine, when you have a closed container that's half full or three quarters or one quarter full of water, the air gap is very humid. So in a way, it's kind of like a combination of deep water hydroponics and what's called aeroponics. In an aeroponics system, we have misters, and they're on an intermittent mist, maybe a couple seconds every minute. Psst. Psst. Like that. And they just keep the roots humid. And the mist has you know, fertilizer in it. Of course, now we have to worry about misters clogging. We have to worry about pumps failing. We have to worry about timers failing. With Kratky, we don't worry about anything. And by the time that the water is completely used up, with most crops, we're done and ready to start a new crop. But I've already determined that if you were growing something like a tomato, and in my climate, I could have a tomato, and that tomato could go out and be planted about early April most years and get away with it. And it can grow until about now. Now, that's a long time. Well, there's a couple solutions. One is a really big container, like a 35-gallon Rubbermaid garbage can for a tomato or two. And you're going to have a long time before you have to worry about adding back any uh, fluid. Or you just use something like a 5-gallon bucket, and when it gets really, really low, you fill it like to one-third to halfway up, and you still have plenty of air space on your roots. So even a long-term, larger-rooted plant, we can make this work for. It may not be the best system for them, but it will work for just about anything that you would do with hydroponics anyway, though it is ideally suited for leaf crops, like spinach and lettuces and pak choy and kale and Swiss chard. I mean, it's just it just does dynamite on those. So that's what Kratky is. So how do we actually make a Kratky uh, hydroponic system, and if I said aquaponics there again, it may happen again. It's, I've been doing um, aquaponics for four years. It's in my head. So I'm sorry if I miss if I transpose those things today. We're on straight hydro now. So anyway, for um, and I actually, that's why I did it. I wrote down cracky aquaponics in there again. Anyway, <clears throat> with cracky uh, hydroponics, um, we find a container. We fill it with nutrient-mixed water. We drill the cover or figure out some way to insert into the opening of the container where we pretty much seal everything off, um, some sort of a net pot or some other means of holding the plant. And then we put started plants or seeds into a preferred media that goes into that net pot or other device. And we put it so that the the media barely touches the water and wicks up moisture. Or if we have a pre-started plant, we will set that plant so a little bit of the roots touches the water. And then we don't do anything except let the plants grow and harvest them. I mean, that in essence is the easiest thing that you can do. 
and we'll talk a little bit more about different media types, but that's it. I mean, so if you're looking for some sort of major revelation as to, oh, this is the secret, um, I think there are a, little, a lot of little tricks and tips, but the easiest thing to do would be just do it. Uh, it seems like the, the number one container people use are three-gallon rubber-made containers containers and they're inexpensive and you can get them at Lowe's, Home Depot, Walmart, you name it and they will last a long time for you. So just going back through before we go on to media types, the advantages again, no pumps or no power. And I've talked about that a lot already, but what I want you to really think about what that means is that with you know a few 20 pound bags of nutrient, in any sort of container, and some net pots, some media. You could go for years of growing your own food with being completely off-grid. Even if you're not off-grid, your growth system's off-grid. I mean, you can move that much water with a bucket. If you, had a, if you were an off-grid tiny house homesteader, once you had your whatever containers you were going to do this with, if there was a creek or a pond on your property... You could just bucket water in. And I know some people say, well, there could be other things in the water in the pond. And all I can say to that is, in 99% of cases, good. I guess you could have some problems with snails or something like that, but, man, I wouldn't worry about it. So the fact that no power is required, if you, especially if you're off-grid, yeah, you don't need a lot of power to run a pump for a hydro system. As long as you can get enough lift, you can use gravity as your friend from there. If we can lift the, 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 the fluid up, we can run that through you know, hundreds and hundreds of feet on the way back down with a light pitch or something like that, different layers and levels. But that's a constant power-hungry need. There are some ways around the constant nature of this, but no power is a huge advantage. There's no input there. It's easy to make custom nutrient mixes. So I'm going to give you kind of a base nutrient mix here in a minute, and that's great. And it will work for most things. And it may be the case that, you know, friggin' Blue Miracle Grow would work for most things. Now, it won't work as good as the stuff I'm going to recommend. But let's say you found out that a particular plant did really well with a little bit of iron kicked in or something. And that made the difference between making it worth growing that plant and not growing that plant. And you had one big system. And you were running out with pumps and, and whatnot. Well, you would have to then provide that nutrient to every plant in that system. But with Kratky, if it went in a three-gallon Rubbermaid tub, that particular plant, well, guess what? You don't care because all you got to do is put just enough for just that plant in that one container. Even if it was something like you came up with something beyond the mix I'm going to give you, which was like made for tomatoes, but you found something about your tomatoes that, that just blew it away if you added it. And you were going to grow two or four huge tomato plants. That was all your tomatoes for the year in a couple garbage cans. Well, you would only need to put it in that 30 gallons. So you wouldn't need to spend the money to put it in all the other ones. The other thing about that that makes it really, really nice is You'll see that everybody that recommends you do this says to get your pH of your water to about 6.5. My pH is above 7. I have very, very hard and somewhat alkaline water. When I do this, I am going to first do it with no adjustment to the pH. And I'm going to see what grows fine without adjusting the pH down and what doesn't. 
And then I only need to adjust down the pH of the things that require. Remember, eliminate extra steps. I have a feeling based on how well I have done growing lettuces and kales and spinaches in my aquaponic systems that they don't care that much. Now, what I can also do is, is it worth it? So is it worth it? It's simple. You have a three and a half gallon rubber made here, six holes in it, put you know a kale, a lettuce, a spinach, a pak choy, a, a Swiss chard, and another variety of lettuce, and do the exact same thing, two of them side by side, adjust the pH in one and not the other. Easy experimentation. If they grow about the same, I'm not going to worry about the input of the pH down. If they grow, if the ones with the pH lower do a little bit better, but not a lot better, it's not worth it. If they do a lot better, then it's worth it. But if some of them do a lot better and some of them don't really care, then I can easily adjust the pH to the container. And so those types of things, like you really can't do that in a large system. You have to just come up with an equilibrium for everybody in a large system. It also uses less water than conventional hydroponics or aquaponics. And if you think about how it works, the, the reasoning is really simple. In a conventional system, that pump, be it air or water, is agitating the water. That's how it gets oxygen in it. There has to be an air-water exchange. So that increases evaporation. And then in most systems that use a sump and whatnot, there's some part of the system that's open. With Kratky, the only part of the system that's open are the tiny air gaps around the net cups or around the media or through the media. So most of the water that ends up you know, out of the container goes through the plant before it ends up out of the container. There's almost no evaporation. In fact, most of the evaporation that does occur hits the roof of the container, condensates, and drips back in. And while it does that, it feeds the roots that are above the water, keeping the humidity high. So it uses less water, uses no energy and less water. Because you lose less water, you lose less total nutrient. And on top of that, this is what's really important, the nutrient ratios stay constant. So if I do have a system where it's a long-duration plant and I have to add a few gallons of water to it after a while, I, can, I don't have to worry about like what's left in there. I can just mix up my standard nutrient for that type of container And I don't want to top it up, but I can bring it back up, let's say, halfway. And I might not have to mess with it again for three weeks to six weeks or more. And if you wanted to, and I've kind of stayed out of this today, but you could easily plumb a float valve to maintain a finalized bottom level. And with something just like a garbage can or a 50-gallon uh, poly drum elevated, plumbed into that, you could have... Once that level was reached, it would never go any lower. That would be a simple bulkhead and, and, and uh, float valve fitting. And you could plumb multiples together and do that, but now we have a moving part. So that's a pretty simple moving part, though. I'm just saying that problem can be automated away with still no energy. All you would then need is some way to get water up into your holding tank with more nutrient as it went down. But it would seem like you know even a fairly large home-scale system Filling that thing twice a year would be unlikely. You would have to do it more than that. Because, of course, all your containers start out full. Next, they're highly portable. Again, the most popular container I've seen people use, three-gallon Rubbermaid tubs. Absolutely full to the brim. That thing weighs 24 pounds. 
24 pounds of change, 8.3 pounds to the gallon. Um, you're not going to fill it all the way. You're going to leave a little bit of a gap. You want some gap there right from the beginning. So maybe two and a half gallons. But as it begins to use up the nutrient, you're going to go to two gallons. Then you got a 16-pound container. Let's say that you had the container at a place and you realize it's not getting enough sun. You need to move it. Pick it up and move that. Try, it with a three, try that with a 330-gallon IBC-based system. So you can move it around. Or let's say you're doing this and you, have, you're, you live in a place like I do, Texas. You have really mild winters, but you have some really brutal weeks within those winters. Like I have right now. I woke up today, it was 24 degrees. I know some of you in the north are laughing at me, but for here, that's cold. It's certainly enough to kill plants in a system like that. It's certainly enough to freeze solid a three-gallon container if it stays below freezing for two days like it's going to do mostly here. So what do you do? Well, you can grow them right out on that rail on your porch. And the weather guesser says, hey, we have a freeze warning. It's going to be freezing for the next three days. Well, you just go out and get your containers and bring them in the house. Just bring them in the house. They might not even get really great light. Find a place where they get a little bit of light. They're only in for three days. You put them back out. Let's look at another uh, scenario. You have to move. Or you have to bug out. You want to take some ability to produce food with you. You have a pretty big system based on Kratky. Take all the food that's that's currently growing that you don't want to deal with moving, harvest it, pack it up, ready to go. Right? A couple of them you could even leave them full if they're like half grown. If you can find a place in your vehicle to put them, and when you get there you already have production going. But even if you can't do that, if you have to scrap everything, the apocalypse has come. You throw a couple 25-pound bags of nutrient in your vehicle, you take your Rubbermaid tubs, you dump them out, you eat the food that you can, Take all your, your media, you dump it out of your neck cups, you stack your neck cups up. They don't take up much space when you stack them together like solo cups come. You throw them all in one of the containers, you stack the containers inside themselves, put all the lids on top of them, throw a, a, a mini ratchet strap or a bungee around them, and not much bigger than one of them now, you have everything. You have everything you need, and you can, and with, you can put in a Ziploc bag a bunch of seed in there, and you can grow food for years, years and years, with everything could be carried in about the size of a suitcase. And all you need when you get where you're going is water. I don't know anything else that will do that as, as well as this will. Um, lastly, it can be made super cheap from anything. I mean, honest to God, almost anything, including ball jars. The simplest form of this. Get yourself some net cups. What size net cup? We'll talk about that in a bit. But honestly, I like three-inch. Is, is from, from my years of doing aquaponics, three inches just seems to really give the plant some space and some support as it builds out its root system through a net cup of that size. But two inch works good too. If you have small mouth ball jars, this is your main ball jar, get two inch cups. If you have three, if you have large mouth ball jars, get three inch net cups. And you put a net cup in a ball jar full of the, the fluid we're going to tell you how to make here in a minute. And you put it somewhere where there's sunlight. Throw one cube of rock wool into the net cup. You want to use uh, about a one and a half inch rock wool cube in a two inch net cup. You can use that in a three inch net cup if you want to. Or you can use a two inch rock wool cube in a three inch net cup. It'll fit just fine. And you put a seed in it, like a lettuce seed. And you put it somewhere it gets light and it grows. And 
and you can watch that water level go down, and you can see how everything works. What a great project to do with your kids. I mean, it can't get much cheaper than that to get started. And many of you probably have some neck cups around. Just give it a try. Um, and when I look at YouTube, you can see people using all kinds of cheap containers. But again, the number one uh, container people kind of do purpose-built systems is, is the three-gallon uh, uh, Rubbermaid uh, tubs. Now, I'm not sure what these things sell at at like Home Depot or Lowe's or Walmart or whatever, but if you didn't even want to paint any ass of going to the store and you wanted to order them from Walmart, uh, you get a six-pack of them shipped for free for $44.99, which comes out to about $7.50 a piece. So six of those would grow a hell of a lot of food. And you might think a three-gallon, man, those things are cheap when they're 18-gallon or whatever. See, the thing is, unless you have a, a long, long-duration, large plant, you don't really want big containers. What you want is surface area. So if you had an 18-gallon tote and a 3-gallon tote, and if, you know, let's say the 3-gallon tote had half of the surface area on the lid that you're going to penetrate that the 18-gallon one did, so two of them using 6 gallons of, of space inside did what one 18-gallon one would. You'd want the 3-gallon ones. And you'd want that because your money in this, the recurring expense, is fertilizer. So the less water you use to fill the container high enough to get started, the less expensive it is. And do you want to move an 18-gallon container that's full of fluid? I mean, if you're doing something in a permanent location, I'm probably going to try some tomatoes next year in garbage cans. So they'll, they'll be stationary. But when it comes to greens, like you're... you're making way too much fluid. You kind of want shallow and wide. So then just use your imagination as to what containers you can use to do that with. Um, so that's just some stuff to think about there. And I do have a link to just about everything I'm talking about today on Amazon. And I'm not saying Amazon's the best place to get it. Obviously, if you use my links, it, it benefits me. Uh, but don't do that just to benefit me. If you can get them for less elsewhere, always uh, do that. I try to always point that out. Anyway, let's now talk about media types. So we need something for this plant to grow in. And I have found a ton of different op options. The easiest one, and I kind of think it's where I, I'm not really in love with it, but I think that the, res the results are so consistent that it's where you should start. And it'll give you a baseline, and you can compare it to other things. And then you know if the other thing is good or not, if it, if it works good enough or not, or if you want to stick with this until you find what does work well for you, and it's rock wool. There's a couple things I don't like about rock wool. One, when you're cutting it, pulling it apart, if it's perforated, etc., um, it's, it's spun rock, and you do not want it in your, your, um, your respiratory system. You do not want to breathe it in. You really should wear like a dust mask, at least until it's wetted down. Once it's wetted down, it's pretty inert, but when it's dry... It's something you do not want to breathe in. You do not want to get it in your eyes. You don't want to really get a lot of it on your skin when it's when it's uh, dry. Little pieces that come off when you cut it. Uh, it gets in your fingers, like in between your fingers. It can be really itchy. It's not reusable. Once you use it, it's done. I don't see any problem with throwing it into a compost pit. Um, it kind of will get broke down in with your compost as a source of minerals or whatever. But it's not really useful once you've used it. And it's an ongoing expense because you can't reuse it. 
But it is so simple. And as long as you set it to where the top of the rock wall is, you know, above the waterline. So you kind of want the bottom 10%, 10 to 20% of the rock wall touching water. And the rest of it you want above the waterline. You put a seed in it, it grows. I mean, it just, it works. That's why, I mean, so many places use it. If you're an aquarium enthusiast like me, like 90% of the time when you buy aquarium plants, they come in Rockwell that you have to get off their roots to then plant in your aquarium. So I, I really like Rockwell as a starting point. I'm going to be doing my first Cracky uh, projects between now and Thanksgiving and through Thanksgiving, getting some video done for you guys, and I will start with Rockwell. And I don't think I'm going to stay with Rockwell. But I'm going to start there for the same reason whenever a beekeeper talks to you about getting your first bees, they say what? Get at least two hives. Because you don't know what good is. So if you don't have at least two hives, you have nothing to compare anything to. And you don't know when one hive is beginning to have problems. And to me, it makes sense to take the thing that we know always works and use that for our baseline so then we can experiment. And think about it again, one three-gallon Rubbermaid tote, when it comes to experimenting with media, it would be real easy to put six holes in that tote, plant six lettuce plants using six different media types, and be able to look right at it and go, this worked and this didn't. You know? Uh, the next one is Lika, L-E-C-A. It also, it just the, when you hear that, you're like, what the hell is that? Um, it's expanded clay pebbles. It's the stuff you see in really kind of higher-end aquaponic systems for ebb and flow beds. Little round clay pebbles that are kind of a puffed clay. They're really lightweight. They allow a lot of oxygen and air in between them. But they do have a problem for this application. And that is they do not really allow you to start seed directly in your system. So rock wool, we can drop the net cup in, drop the... You want to always hydrate your rock wool cubes before you put them in your system. So you hydrate them with regular water, put them into your system, drop a seed in. Lika, you really can, you can do it. It might work, but your germination rates are going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25%. That's a high degree of failure because the seeds fall down into those really large gaps, and they rot, they mildew, etc. But Lika is reusable. When you pull out your net cups and you're done with that crop, you can just kind of shake off all of the Lika. And people say it's really hard to clean. I think people worry too much. You take you know, your Lika and throw it into a five-gallon bucket and use about two tablespoons of chlorine bleach to the gallon of water. Let them sit in there for a little bit. Dump them out and let them dry, and you're good to go. You can use them again. So I like them because they're reusable. So even though they seem kind of expensive, when you figure that like they're a lifetime investment damn near, they're not real expensive. Uh, another thing I've seen people grow things in, and some stuff that's good in it, some not so good, is coarse perlite. Perlite... I guess would technically be reusable, but I don't think it's very viable as a reusable product. It floats on water, and it wicks water really, really well. I use it in my wicking beds as a layer between my gravel and my soil, as a, uh, as a stratification layer. It works really, really good for that. But if you were to use it in a um, – and I've used it in net pots, in an aquaponics deep water system – Like the roots just grow through it. It's in this big knot. And the best thing you can do with it is throw it in your compost and it's a lightning agent for your compost. It's good for making potting soil and shit like that. That's what it's good for. But it's really cheap. 
And if you get coarse perlite and a really um, small hold net pot, you can pretty much fill up a net pot and plant into it. Uh, I'll save my thoughts on some other ideas here in a minute. Another option would be expanded shale. I've experimented with it because we can get it cheap, and I use it to cap my aquaponics beds, my ebb and flows. So those I build with uh, lava rock, but planting into lava rock is hard. It hurts your fingers. Uh, it's big. It's coarse. It's great for growing it. But what I'll do is put like the last two inches in expanded shell. It's a fairly small expanded shell, about the size of like pea gravel. And then you can plant into that. So since I had it, I tried that in net pots, and it works fairly well, but there's a way to make it better. I'll explain it in a second. One of the things I've discovered since I started looking at Kratky, and I think it's just one of the coolest hacks in the world, is pool noodles. Styro or foam pool, pool noodles, the things your kids float around on, you know? You might be thinking, man, I don't, Jack, I don't think you can get the plant to grow in the pool noodle. You can't. You can't. That's the good part. It makes them almost infinitely recyclable. Uh, pool noodles are about four feet or 48 inches long. You want them to be about one inch thick. That means one pool noodle you get for a dollar at the dollar store will make 48 cups. And you can use them by themselves or you can use them in a net cup, a two inch net cup. They fit in there fairly well, nice and tight. And there's two ways to use them. One is if you have a well-started plant that's fairly large in size that won't slip all the way through the hole, you just take your pool noodle and stick it into the hole in your container, whatever it is, and put the plant in it. And the roots go down through the hole and it grows. And the beauty of that is when the plant's done, you just pull the plant out of the noodle, give a little bleach solution treatment to your noodles, and use them again. And since they didn't grow into the noodle like they do into a net pot or into rock wool, there's no real effort in cleaning. And I like simplicity. Now, what if you have a really small plant? Well, what you do is you take a razor knife or a pair of scissors and you cut a little segment. Like a, like keep, think of it like a pizza slice. Like it's a, like a bunt cake and you're cutting one slice out of it. And then you take that little piece, you put it in the hole and you squeeze it together when you put it in your container or your net pot and it fills the hole in. So now you've got only a little tiny gap in there. Well, you take your really small started plant and you put it in there. If you wanted to do seeds, you could take something like some cocoa fiber or something like a hemp mat or whatever you can come up with and do that little cut a piece out trick and where you have your little gap, shove that stuff in there and put your seed in there and that might work. But it needs to go all the way to the bottom so it touches the water and wicks up. It might be a little tougher to start directly in. I think that the pool noodle solution is best for people who are going to start at least small plants before setting them into their system, which may be better, may be worse, depending on how you look at it. Um, some other options. Number one, and you guys might have been thinking about this all the way through, combinations of the above. So if, another way you could do this is with the pool noodle method, Cut a very small piece of rock wool and stick it in the hole. As long as that rock wool goes, it's a one-inch thick piece of rock wool. And as long as that pool noodle touches the surface of the water, and hence the rock wool touches the surface of the water. And you could even stick the rock wool so the plant's like maybe a quarter-inch deep into the pool noodle hole, and the rock wool sticking a quarter-inch out the bottom to maintain contact a little longer till the roots get through. Well, that plant is going to grow through that piece of rock wool, it's going to, but it's going to eventually just be supported by the pool noodle. 
And and when you then get, remove that plant, you just throw that little piece of rock wool into your composting. Now you're using 10% of the rock wool. You're cutting your cost and your input down to 10% of what it originally was. And you can still plant directly into it. And there's other combinations you can do. One of the things I did with deep water aquaponics, and it worked pretty damn good. I took some lava rock. I filled a three-inch net cup that I was putting into a rafting system. And then I put about... A, the last quarter inch, soil. Just potting soil. And I put a seed in it. What I had to do to make it work was design the net pot, though, so that the soil wasn't in the water. How deep? So the soil could be no thicker than the raft. Right? You just wanted a very thin layer of soil so that the soil would wick water from the lava rock, but it wouldn't be soaking wet. Or you would have dampening off and dying off problems with your seed. But that would be another example. How about you take something like your Lika, you fill your pot most of the way up, and you take that coarse perlite and you cap it with a half inch of coarse perlite, plant your seed into that. Now you've got some Lika and, and you perlite mixed in when you're cleaning it, but it would work. Or... Use that expanded shale as a cap. It, it, it really kind of falls through the holes of a net cup, and it's not really airy enough to let the roots really do their thing when they first start to form. So you could do combinations of those. Uh, hemp mats are something else you can look at. Uh, one of the videos that I have linked to you for you today, the gentleman behind it, buys some these little hemp mats that you can grow directly in, cuts them into pieces, sticks them in the middle of the pool noodle, and then you can add a seed directly to the hemp mat. And the pool noodles there more as a structural aid rather than a growing media. Um, soil above lava rock and try what works for you. I think with the pool noodles, I'll bet you that we can come up with something that's natural that most people could find in the woods. I don't know if shaved or crumbled leaf would work. Something like that. I'm not sure, but I bet you we could. I haven't really put that much thought into it. Again, I'm going to start with rock wool. That way I know, like, okay, I've got this working. I'm not, I'm not a retard when it comes to how to do this. And I'm not expecting something to work that's never going to work. I've got the baseline. Here's my growing plant. When I then change something, I know if it doesn't grow, it's the variable versus I've got something else wrong in the core of the system. So I'd like your ideas. Or if you're doing this already, what can you come up with to use as a media that makes this more sustainable and regenerative? I want to finish up with some resources for you. Number one, I mentioned uh, B.A. Kratke, who uh, this was all based on, who, who came up with the original idea. Uh, there's a PDF by him, uh, written up about eight pages, highly technical, uh, published by the University of Hawaii where he works, and you can get that for free online. I have a link to that. Um, the guy that I got a lot of ideas from, Really cool dude, and I've reached out to him already about possibly being on the show, and I'm hoping to buy I'm actually hoping he's got the uh, guest form filled out by the time I'm done with this episode, and he might, because I've been interacting with him on YouTube. Um, he's a really awesome guy. His, uh, his name is Mike Van Z, and he has a YouTube channel called Keep On Growing. And he has a whole little side hustle going now, selling something called the Downspout Garden. And this is kind of similar to a rain gutter, rain gutter grow bed system. I can't remember. Larry Hall invented that. It's similar to that, but it's, it's, it's simplified in some ways. It uses a poly 
downspout for a rain gutter, the part that actually comes down from the gutter above. He builds them into, I think, 30-inch long systems, and each one of those will hold four net cups. And all he does is cut them into, and again, it's either 30 or 33 foot, something like that, whatever the length is. And he, I guess the length is whatever you want it to be. He cuts them with a uh, either a hacksaw or a chop saw, takes a heat gun and crimps the ends. There's kind of a way he does it where it looks nice so the water doesn't come out of them. Drills four um, one and seven eighth inch holes, perfect for a two inch net pot or his pool noodles. He's got to give up the pool noodles. And each one of those grows four plants. That's really awesome, and I've got a video for you on that. He's selling them on Etsy, and he's making them, and he's like, yeah, he can barely keep up with demand on these things. But he gives away exactly how to make them. And you need a good heat gun to do this, and it looks like the heat gun part probably takes a while. He came up with another way to do it that I didn't like, which was you buy the, uh, the 90s that go at the bottom of the drain spouts. You just put one on each end. And that way you don't have to crimp it. Well, that's an extra cost. They cost almost as much as the spout itself. And you've got now two openings. So now that you've got two openings, you've got more evaporation, right? Um, and it's just kind of look, going to look kind of funky. But that's another way to do it. Um, you could make the same thing with a piece of 4-inch pipe with end caps on it. You use a thin wall pipe, PVC some end caps on it. And he does that too. I've seen in his systems he has things like that growing. But I thought that would be like a good idea for you guys to take a look at to get more ideas about how to do everything. And then we haven't really talked about the fertilizer. There is a fertilizer called Master Blend. And it is developed mostly for vegetables and tomatoes. It's like a 38, it's like a 41838 or something like that fertilizer. And it is made by a company called Master Blend. And there's some other companies that make exactly the same thing. Um, but most of them on Amazon, it costs more than the original. So I link to the original. Now, there's two things that you're going to want to add to this fertilizer to have your general mix. One is magnesium sulfate, which is Epsom salts. And the other one is calcium nitrate. Now, the mix is really simple. Per gallon, if you're using the solids that I'm talking about here, you use two grams, two grams of master blend fertilizer. This is to the gallon. Two grams of calcium nitrate and one gram of magnesium sulfate. Now, let's talk about how much you get out of a pound. There are 400 And 50-odd grams, it's like 455 or something like that, about 450 grams to a pound. So what that means is a five-pound bag of the Master Blend um, fertilizer, which I'm looking at right now, and it gets a 41838 fertilizer that sells for $24, will make you a whopping r roughly 1,125 gallons of, of fertilizer fluid. So if we, if we want to do a little bit more math and avoid common core when we do it, that's about two cents a gallon. Um, the, uh, the calcium nitrate is less expensive. And when you do the math on a five-pound bag, that comes out to about one cent a gallon to make, 
And let's call the Epsom salt also one cent a gallon because we use half of it. So that's four cents to the gallon to make the fertilizing water for your hydroponic sense. Four cents a gallon. Some of you that live in municipalities might pay more than that for water. I don't know. I don't think you pay more than that. God, I can't imagine that. But I, plenty of you pay more than four cents a gallon for drinking water when you go buy it in a bottle. I mean, it, it, there is no expense here that's, that's significant against the crop that you're producing. And again, think of how long, say, a 25-pound bag of each of these things would last till the zombies come. Now, I have links to where you can get those different ways. Um, you can get each of those products individually. And I have a Master Grow Blend Complete Kit as the fertilizer, the Epsom salt, and the cow nitrate in one kit kind of in bags that are parceled out for it all to last about the same amount of time. None of it's expensive. The other thing you're going to probably want is a gram scale, something that will measure by the gram. Now, I don't know, buying all this hydroponics stuff in a gram scale might get a search warrant issued for you or something. Who knows with the uh, nanny state the way it is, but I, I highly doubt that. But um, it, it did happen to one guy up in Washington. And we probably owe just about everything we know about hydroponics to, to the people that grow the uh, sacred herb that we measure by the gram. But if you're going to be wanting to measure like one gram, two grams of fertilizer, then you're going to want a gram scale. Now, the thing to me is I don't want to have to measure fertilizer by weight, and I don't think it's that important. Um, so once you determine what a gram is, then I think you can come up with some sort of measuring device. The same way we do with um, grains when it comes to black powder or um, a smokeless powder when we're doing reloading. Uh, we could even maybe do a trick, which is... Uh, You can actually cut down a shell casing to be your measuring device. Uh, we can probably get close enough to figure out when a what, how much do we make with a teaspoon or a tablespoon and make larger amounts as well. The main reason people go down to this like one gram, two gram ratio is that a lot of people are doing very small projects. They're doing, you know, a little tabletop. They're doing uh, soda bottles, one liter soda bottles and things like that. So they want to make small amounts. But I have a link to kind of, uh, The, the gram scale I see most of the people doing that using on YouTube. Now, my thought is if you're doing larger projects where you're making up like five-gallon buckets or you're using, you know, larger like seven-gallon, 10-gallon, 18-gallon totes or something like that, the easiest thing to do is mix, mix the fluid in the container. And so you might want to use what's called a drill mixer. A lot of people use it for like mixing uh, mud for, for doing drywall and stuff like that or mortar mixing. And I have a link to one of them. That doesn't really matter what kind you get. It was like the least expensive one they have on uh, Home Depot. I'm sorry, on Amazon.com. And you just put it in a cordless drill and just, and it mixes it up. And so if I was doing larger ones, I, would, I have one that's actually different than the one um, that I have linked to on Amazon. But it costs more on Amazon than the one I have. So it doesn't matter what. I use it for mixing up um, stuff when I'm making uh, fuel that might spill into my mouth when I'm doing a big, uh, giant uh, mash. Uh, fermentation of sugar or something like that. I just take that and just zip it up. And so that would be another thing you might have. That's it. I mean, like this can be as, as, you know, advanced as, you know, a multi pipe type system that's on racks or something like that to, to maximize space. Or it can be as simple as, you know, a single jar in your window. And I encourage you to experiment with this. I, I, like I said, I'm going to be able to do kind of a follow-up episode probably you know, around January when I have some time and experience under my belt with this. But this is one of those things like I know this will work. And not just because I've seen how many people have done it, 
but because when I compare it to what I do with, with aquaponics, it's dramatically more simple and it pretty much works the same. So that's why I was willing to do this episode. Um, you know, my final thoughts on this, you bet I'm going to do this. Like, this was one of those things, I think I told the guy that called it in, you, sir, are a jerk. Because everybody always calls me a jerk for all these things I expose them to. And I finally got to return the favor to somebody, at least recently anyway, with that. Because it's like, now I have another thing I have to do. And I got so much going on, uh, going into this winter, so many projects and, and redesigns and, and developments and uh, new things to put in. But this is too easy not to do it. It's too cheap and easy not to do it. And it's too dead, deadly effective not to do it. So I encourage you to give it a try. I'm sorry if I'm not like as explosive as I usually am with excitement. I'm trying to get through this show without losing my voice, and you can hear it has faded. But uh, I think I did better than I have with, with most events as far as my voice after it's over. So anyway, with that, let's wrap things up. Remind you that uh, all the things that I mentioned, again, are available uh, on Amazon, and they are all linked in the show notes today. Today's episode, in fact, has... Uh, the most extensive resources that I've put together for you guys in a very long time. And about half of them are links to stuff you can get on Amazon, but half of them are the YouTube videos. And I really encourage you, like I know a lot of you, you listen on iTunes or Stitcher or iHeartRadio or wherever else we are, and you don't go to the site very much um, because you go there when you need something. Today I would go, I would look this episode up. And, you know, if you do buy through those links, you help support us. Well, you can always support us by doing your online shopping through tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z.com, tspaz.com. And today's item of the day that you can find at tspaz or just the Survival Podcast website is the Mr. Heater Portable Big Buddy Propane Heater. Winter is coming. In fact, winter is here. It's cold. If the power goes out, you're going to be cold. With this, you can stay warm. I already covered my favorite kerosene heater this year. And what I said is, in a lot of the country, the best bang for the buck is a kerosene heater. If you can go to a gas station down the road from your house and fill up a five-gallon can of kerosene at a pump, go with kerosene. If you can't, go with a portable propane heater. This one is awesome. Um, I'm not going to say much more about it. Many of you guys already use it, but you want to check this out. Um, this thing saved my family's ass in Arkansas in 2011 at our place we had there. During a major ice storm, we were without power for a week. Between this and our fireplace and our generator, we never even cared the power was out. We had fun. And you can get a large uh, propane adapter for it. I really recommend that. Yes, it's safe indoors. It has a lot of safety built into it. My review explains all that. But a 20-gallon propane tank indoors is not a great idea. If that tank springs a leak in the hose or a fitting that's a lot of propane you can dump in your house. So if you're going to use it indoors and you don't want to worry about that, you can use the small bottles, the little one-pound bottles. It'll take two of them. Or you can just put the propane tank outside and then, like, through a cracked window. What I do is I take the propane tank, put it outside a window, run the hose in the house, the heater, and lift the window up, obviously, to do that. Then take a towel or a blanket and put it along the window, and then close the window down so you don't have cold air coming in and out. And you don't crush your hose. And that works really well. Um, now, if you live in Canada or Massachusetts, you have to pay $20 more for this. Why? Because your masters, your leaders, uh, said that they don't like the packaging the way it is, so they made a special box to sell it to you guys in your socialist hellholes. So you have to pay more for a different box. Don't ask me. It's just the way it is. And if you live in California, before you could buy it, 
You have to click a box that says you read some bullshit. Your leaders work, uh, wrote up for you called Prop 30, which basically is California's warning that everything on the planet, including seaweed, causes cancer. I'm not kidding. Seaweed in California comes with a Prop 30 warning. And you have to read it to buy it online. So I have links to explain all that as well. But, yes, it's safe, and it's my favorite portable heater. Um, hundreds of you guys have contacted me one way or another and said, yes, I use that. I love it. One guy said today on Facebook when I published it, I've been using the same one since 2006. So it's just it, it works a long time, and it works really great, and it's really safe. And I'll say this, whether it's the, the buddy heater, whether it's kerosene heater, I don't care what it is, I don't care if you get it through T-Spaz or not, if you live where it gets cold, have a backup heat plan, because if you don't, your ass will freeze when your power eventually goes out. And understand that a fireplace is useful, but not that useful. We had a fireplace in Arkansas. I was going to do an insert to make it more efficient, but we decided to sell the place and move. But the fireplace alone did very little to really heat the place. Most of the heat in the fireplace goes up the flume. So if your backup plan is, you know, store-bought fire logs in a fireplace, um, it may keep the pipes from freezing, but you're going to be cold. Get a backup heat plan of some, some sort in place. Last up, let's talk about our song of the day. Song of the day today is by um, the, the living legend of country music himself, George Strait. Um, in spite of the tone of the song, I think if this dude sung the phone book, he would hit a, 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 at least a top 40 hit out of it. Um, one of the most dominant people in country music for, oh, about 30 years. But even an all-time great like George Strait reaches a point where The formulaic nature of modern music, not just country, but all modern music, don't quite fit it anymore. Some people never really did. And this song he wrote along with a guy named Jamie Johnson. Jamie Johnson's best known for the song In Color. I played that before. Um, it's pretty good on the fact that, you know, we just had Veterans Day. That song's amazing. Uh, the two of them wrote this by texting each other back and forth. They weren't even in the same state when they wrote it. But it, George said that this song is about how we they all, all reach a point where their popularity falls and they're just not what they used to be, at least as far as selling new records. But it doesn't really hurt. It doesn't really hurt. If you lived your music, if you really believed what you were saying, If you stayed true to yourself the entire time, like some of the people mentioned in this song, like Waylon and Willie and Johnny Cash, that when you get kicked out of country, it really doesn't hurt. And what he said about himself is, as he began to ebb out, which has got to be hard for a guy that's been that dominant, you know, it didn't really hurt as bad as it could because he always knew that it would come and he always accepted that and he always looked toward it. I think there's some wisdom in that for all of us. We all age I used to find it funny when I would talk to people about you know their their lives and financial planning and stuff like that, and I talked to them about life insurance. They'd say, "Well, if I die, then yeah, that works." Well, no, when you die, we all are going to die. And sometime, hopefully, if we live long lives, between when we die and right now, they'll come to a point where a lot of things we can do right now, we can't really do anymore. And learning, on some level to fight aging every step of the way, but on some other levels to grow age gracefully. To know when it's time to say, hey, I had a good run. It's time to kind of hang some things up. 
I don't think George is going to do that with music, though. Maybe he won't be releasing a new album every year like he did through the 80s and 90s. I think he'll be around right up until the end. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Just got the news today. The record I sent them, they threw it away. Don't fit the format, don't make the list. They say I'm too old, won't even be missed. It happened to Jones and even the hag. Waylon and Willie and the great Johnny Cash kicked them right out without even a word. But that ain't the end of the story I heard. Cause Cash stomped out the footlights. Haggard Plum had a fall And Willie and Waylon And Chris toward the nation And Jones never showed up at all well, They lived what they wrote And they wrote what they sang And getting kicked out of country Didn't hurt a thing Getting kicked out of country Didn't hurt a thing I just wrote a new song today Pulled out my old guitar and I started to play Pressing my fingers into the strings I felt the feelings a country song brings I did some Jones and one for the hang Waylon and Willie and the great Johnny Cash They all got kicked out of country back then And then one day country came calling again And cash stomped out the footlights And Haggard Plum had a fall And Willie and Waylon and Chris toured the nation Cause I ain't gonna change So getting kicked out of country Won't hurt